everyone. Welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily, and I'm here with Chase. What's up? And we are a paranormal horror podcast that likes telling each other true scary stories from all over the world, all the while we drink or drink water, but usually it's alcohol. Let's Today face it. Today it's alcohol. Today it is alcohol as well. We're having a little bit of wine. And a little it bit is... is an understatement. We are drinking a <laughs> lot of Chianti. Yeah, what's what's this one again? I don't remember. Uh, this is a Chianti 2017 uh, Reserva from... Somewhere. Castello di Gabbiano. <laughs> I, I regret my question. I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> Chianti is one of our favorites, and it's been a while since we had wine, and we had a fancy Italian date night dinner thing today so that was a lunch date yeah lunch date so you know that's because we're just friends yeah we're just friends <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh deciding to bring it all the way for dinner yes and what else are we going to talk about oh yes so we have a few things that we're going to be talking about i think we mentioned it or we absolutely mentioned it the previous episode about how we're going to discuss some movies that we're watching that are horror christmas or Snow at least winter. Yeah, winter. Winter horror. A lot of them are holiday horror themed movies. Right. We're going to talk about them at the end of our episode. Yes. And we're going to try to keep them as spoiler free as possible. So if you guys want to stick around and listen to us rant about that, then you might as well because you made it this far. So. <laughs> and also, if you want to know what movies we're watching, it's not structured like our October one. Whenever we decide to watch a movie, we're going to post it on our Instagram. So if you f- guys feel like you want to watch it as well, so you can join along in the, and listen to the discussion, follow our Instagram. That's the way to find it. Yeah, definitely. We'll post if we're deciding to watch something in the middle of the week, we'll post and say, hey, we just watched this. We're going to talk about it. We, uh, we're we not very good at planning, so we might just do it on the... We're going to wing it. Right. See, the thing is, we've actually watched a lot of Christmas movies already, but most of them aren't horror movies. No. Like, we watched the new Home Alone movie on Disney. <laughs> I don't really recommend it, but we did do that, right. and we watched... Titanic. Which so, I don't even think is a Christmas even... <laughs> movie, but according to Lily, that's a Christmas movie. I just always watch it around December. It just always happened that way, and I don't even mean, mean this... Every year. It doesn't it just, even take place in the winter. No, but it looks cold. <laughs> it is cold. So I just assumed it's fine. It's a winter so, movie. So we totally watched that. And <laughs> yeah. But yep. uh, we should also mention that fall is rapidly coming to an end. So if you feel like you need something to warm you up on those cold nights, might I recommend the Hair of the Werewolf Fall Cocktail. It's a hot rum and spiced cider cocktail with a caramel rim. You can find the full recipe on our Instagram. Pretty soon, there's going to be a new cocktail. You don't want to miss out on this one. This one's pretty great because it's a hot drink. Yeah. Which is perfect. It is very, very delicious and hot and yeah. So I think you already said that, but I just decided (laughs) to repeat. (laughs) Just, just, hey guys, I want you to know it's hot. It's hot. It's so hot. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that too. So not cold. Um, I, I have a story here for you today. And it's kind of a long one, so I think it's going to be the whole episode. All right. (laughs) I know sometimes. So for anyone who might be new, usually Chase has a second like mini story at the end that is usually not as long as mine, but sometimes my stories tend to be a little lengthy, and in those cases, they tend to be me talking the entire time and Chase making uh, jokes along the way. Oh no, I have to drink and listen. Yeah, hard. (laughs) Your job is so hard, Chase. So here we go. The reason why my story is a big one is because it is the Amityville Horror House, which I'm sure you've heard of. What's that? Yeah, so... (laughs) 
So for for those of you that don't know, my sister's name is Amity. So yeah, I think I knew what the Amityville horror was since I was much younger than many people. And it she is not named after the haunted house. It's not. The, yeah, anything like that. It's but yeah. So you may or may not know about it. I have familiarity. I think I think you know about it. Ryan but Reynolds lived there, right? Yeah, for like in two thousand five for <laughs> for a second. No, like. I know the story, and I've always known some parts of it and everything like that, and not until a couple of years ago did I really start learning a whole lot more about it, and there is a ton to know. Oh, yeah, this is the, the book is not short. It is not short, and the uh, did you read the book? No, but I know oh. of it. <laughs> okay, I was like, oh, I'm impressed. No, I, I picked it up at like a bookstore, and I thumbed through it, because I was interested, and it was friggin' long, and I was like, okay, and when you read it... The sections I was looking at, it's not like a Stephen King novel. It's it felt more like a history with some narrative. So it was mm. it was in depth. Are you talking about the original one that was written in the seventies? Or yeah, the one that's about the incident. It wasn't okay. the dramatization. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so let me tell you a little bit about it. Before I go into it, I did want to give credit to the documentary I watched on YouTube, and it is called "The Real Amityville Horror." And like I said, you can totally watch it on your own. It's about an hour long or so. And that's where I got most of my information. So the location of the house is no secret. It's located on 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, New York, just about an hour from New York City. And unlike a lot of haunted houses, you can actually go. They didn't tear this one down. You can go there. Oh, yeah. I mean, people still live there right now. So, yeah. Let me start from the beginning before the hauntings even started. In 1974, the DeFeo family had lived in the house for some time. There was the mom, dad, two daughters, and three sons. Everyone in the neighborhood described them as basically the average American family, living a quiet and safe neighborhood and whatnot, the American dream. That is until November 13, 1974, at 3.15 a.m., Ronald DeFeo Jr., who was the oldest child at 23 years old, took a shotgun and killed his parents, two sisters, and two brothers while they were sleeping. Ronald claimed that right after he did this, he couldn't even believe what happened, and he ran to a friend's house to get some help. When everyone in the neighborhood had heard what happened, every single person knew it was Ronald who committed the crime. It turned out that he had a bad reputation of drinking, gambling, and fighting, and he was not liked by many. Ronald was taken into custody for a while, and he denied that he was involved, but eventually broke down and admitted to killing his family. However, he also said that he only realized what he had done after the fact, claiming that he was possessed during the incident. So, I don't know what the average American family was to people in the early (laughs) 70s, but to me, the average American family shouldn't have, oh yeah, that one asshole in the family Mm -hmm. who's a gambler, drinker, and I'm pretty sure he'd kill his whole family. That doesn't scream average it's American family It's always like that typical thing that you're like, oh, yeah, he's, he did seem like normal and quiet. But there was this one really weird thing he did. And it was always like this insane thing. You're like, that's not normal. I don't think that's a normal thing. And so, no, exactly. <laughs> like, if you just, just picture like a random neighbor that you knew and like a family there and say like, who would be the one most likely to kill people? If your answer is someone specific, yeah. that's a bad sign. <laughs> but if it's like, I don't think anyone there would kill people, then you know it's probably you a know, pretty nice family. I didn't write this down in my notes, but I also, uh, you know, in the documentary, they talked about how the dad was incredibly abusive. He would uh, beat his children and his wife, and it was kind of like a known thing in the neighborhood as well. So even friends of the kids wouldn't go over because the dad unabashedly would 
beat his family in front of anyone and whoever. So he was not a kind man, for sure. Doesn't sound like a happy family. It does not sound like a fa- ha- No, not at all. No happy homes here. Well, in the end, even though he had claimed that he was being possessed and that he couldn't remember killing his family, all of that didn't matter because he got sentenced and he got six life sentences. And I think I saw somewhere where that equated to like 150 years in jail. So he's definitely going to die there. Is he still even alive? I thought he died in prison. He probably did. I didn't really look into that case as much. It's mostly because like there's so much more to the story and I didn't want to get too into the true crime stuff, but yeah. So there are other details of the incident, like police have no idea how Ronald managed to kill six people in their bed with a shotgun. They did a test with the same type of weapon and the gunshot blasts that were you that would have been like heard that night sure. were obviously incredibly loud. It could have been heard four blocks away, yet none of the neighbors heard anything or even the family members didn't appear to stir when another family was being killed. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I not hear a shotgun. I mean, unless all these kids were heavily sedated. Right. So that's another thing. They were like, the forensics proved that the bodies were not moved after the math or after the fact. So it wasn't like they were killed somewhere and then put in their bed to make exactly. it look like they were sleeping. And also their blood was tested and there was no signs of drugs. So they don't, they don't know. Ronald's confessions were also very strange. The first time he admitted killing his family, he said that a cloaked demon with black hands handed him a gun and he was while he was downstairs watching TV. It should also be noted that he was heavily on drugs. <laughs> so he, he did have drugs in his he, system. He did have drugs in his system, absolutely. <clears throat> there was one more detail I want to share. Uh, one of uh, On the night of the murder, a private investigator was outside the DeFeo home, but he must have gotten there after Ronald DeFeo had killed his family because he didn't hear anything. Hmm. What he did witness was that he saw a woman in black, in a black hooded coat and black gloves, leaving the house carrying a rifle to the dock to dispose of the gun. The police later did find a gun in the same location as described. So another theory is that his sister killed his family and then herself, or she killed everyone, and when Ronald found out what she had done, he killed his sister. In support of this theory, forensic evidence did show gun residue on a jacket that his sister owned. But, but where was the jacket? I don't know. I don't know if she was wearing it or okay. if she had taken it off afterwards. That's I don't I didn't see that in the documentary or I didn't like find that information quickly. But um, he was interviewed a while after he had been already in jail and he more or less claimed the same thing. He said that after he realized what he had done, he hid the gun and ran to a friend's house to tell him what had happened. So now he's saying that he had the gun and that doesn't make any sense with the investigator being outside the house seeing the sister disposing the gun. I don't know. Like, the details have never been quite right. You know who I feel bad for? I mean, obviously everyone who died. That sucks, <laughs> family? But no, but the friend. Can, you don't want to be that friend. That no, a friend runs obviously. to is like, hey buddy, you're my good friend, right? You're like, oh, yeah, sure, I'm your friend. He's like, I just killed, like, six people with a shotgun. What should I do? I'm like, hey, we're not friends anymore. Yeah, I'd be like, one, give me the shotgun. <laughs> yeah, can you not be around me yeah. ever again or my family? So, again, um, if he was on some crazy drugs, then there's a chance that he doesn't even really know himself what happened that night. The only thing that had stayed consistent was that he believed that he was possessed. In the documentary, I saw a clip of Ronald being interviewed, and um, he said that, because they were kind of talking to him about the hauntings that had occurred with the other family or whatever, and he says, I think I'm the true horror and the true cause of it all because I was the one that killed my entire family. 
He also didn't appear remorseful. So the way he was talking, it just, I don't know, he seemed like really off to me. But I guess anyone who would be willing to kill a family would be a little off. Or at the very least, confess. Like maybe he had a psychotic break or something. He had a psychotic break or maybe... And um, never repaired. <laughs> he was on drugs for so long that it just changed him too. You know, you never know. Um, the house was eventually put up for sale, but it stayed on the market for about a year. People knew what had happened and looked like the realtors were pretty transparent. Like, it was no secret. If someone went to go look at the house, they knew exactly what they were getting themselves into. But eventually, in 1975, George and Kathy Lutz and her three kids purchased a home and moved in. So, <laughs> I just want to say, as we've been looking in the housing market as well, interested <laughs> in buying a house, and this is a terrible market to buy in because there just aren't many houses and they're overpriced and everything. Oh, God, yeah. But we still did see houses that were on the market for, like, four months. Like, even, lo- like, really long time, yeah. And they were terrible. Mm-hmm. And so I can only imagine in a normal market being on for a year, it it have to be a pretty nice house for it to sell within a year. I mean, I guess if it was a normal market, I don't know. It it is a very nice house. Because so. I mean, if you're willing to buy a house that a bunch of people were murdered in, whether or not you believe in hauntings or horrors or anything like that, you're like, okay, housing market. There's lots of houses that I can buy. The one where people got murdered shouldn't be a high priority. <laughs> yeah. But if it does sell, it had to have been a really nice house. Yeah. So I think what what happened here is that the house sold in 1975 for $80,000. That's a lot for 75. Well, with inflation, that would be the equivalent of $448,825. That is still a lot of money. But if you consider the value of the property, they absolutely did get a steal. I looked it up on Zillow, oh, nice. <laughs> like any other stalker would, and saw that the house had uh, five bedrooms, four bathrooms, and it was a 3,600 square foot property, or not the whole property, but the house itself. The current Zestimate- How many square feet? 3,600. Holy- 3,600, yeah. Jicket. So that's a, that's a big fucking house. And the Zestimate for now, even because, you know, I'm going with the inflation of when they purchased it to today, what that would have cost. And we said around 440000 Sure, sure. But the Zestimate says it's actually valued for 890000 500 Yeah. It does sound like a nice house. Yeah. There are pictures online that you can see, and it does look like a beautiful home. And it's actually in a really nice neighborhood. You know, that the house is is like on a lake kind of thing. So there's mm. a body of water and there's a dock and there's like on the a place in the backyard. Yeah, for a houseboat and everything. So it's a very nice place to be. So I think I, I can see why, like, I guess it's a steal, but you're also living in a murder house. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, some people get their food comped when they have to wait too long out of the kitchen. So... <laughs> I guess I guess everything has a discount value to it. So. Every yeah, exactly. I think if you sweeten the deal enough, people forget about it. <laughs> How many people died? Going to knock off a couple hundred thousand yeah. out there. Can you hundred thousand per person? At least a hundred per person for sure. Uh, as soon as this family moved in, the paranormal activity started immediately. I should also mention that everything that happened was within twenty eight days. So the Lutz family only was there for twenty eight days. On the first day, they had a priest come into the house to bless it, which is totally reasonable considering the circumstances. (laughs) The priest made his way around the house, and when he got upstairs into the playroom, he immediately turned around and left the house. We don't know exactly what happened, but he did mention that when he got there, he heard something tell him to get out. After that, he refused to go back into the house. 
Later that day, the family continued to bring the, bring in boxes. You know, they're like, okay, <laughs> okay, kind of weird, but let's keep moving yeah. in. <laughs> what are you supposed to do, just leave it on the track? Right. And so one of the kids brought in a, a, a box and who was, I think it was the 10-year-old kid who had done this, brought the box upstairs into the bedroom, and there he saw hundreds of flies buzzing around. This was in December in New York, so it would have been incredibly cold and very unlikely to see any flies. Flies appearing would have been a, a common occurrence that they would learn was not just a one-time thing. Oh, so 28 days of flies, huh? Yeah, 28 days of flies. Whenever they would appear, members of the family would kill them, and then when they would leave the room to get help or to like get more supplies to kill the flies, when they returned, the flies would be gone. So mm, that's messed up. That's so messed up. George, the stepfather, uh, would always be cold, no matter how hot the house got. He would always be freezing, and the family members would say that you'd walk into a room, and it would be very hot to them. But then you would walk a few feet in a different direction, and it would start getting really cold again. So there were a lot of cold spots. Uh, George would spend all day chopping wood outside so he'd have enough to burn throughout the night. He also lost a lot of weight. He would miss a lot of work. And in general, he stopped taking care of himself. He and his uh, wife, Kathy, began to fight a lot. And it just seemed like this in- his entire personality was changing completely. Every night since the family moved in, George would wake up at exactly 3.15 a.m. to the sounds of gunshots, door slamming, music, or screaming. If you remember, that was around the time that it was estimated that uh, Ronald DeFeo killed his family. It's also a really crappy time of night. I mean, that's... It's like, yeah, like 3 a.m. is considered... Like witching hour stuff, right? Yeah, like 12, well, I think... That was like 2 to like 4. I don't remember. I think you're right, probably. Typical witches get more than an hour for their hour. (laughs) Yeah. But who was going to argue with them, so... I wouldn't. Yeah, I'm like, like, you get whatever you want. Take all the time you need, girls. (laughs) It's cool. It's cool. It's cool with me. It's cool. Uh, So, to make it even worse, George would often wake up also at different parts of the house. So he was basically sleepwalking, which is something he'd never done before. Sometimes he'd end up outside. Sometimes he'd end up in the basement. It was just really sketchy. Man, did they test if he had drugs in his system? <laughs> He's just a druggie. <laughs> Everything can be answered by drugs. Yeah. Actually, you know, a lot of it would make sense because, you know, him hallucinating or also feeling cold and hot. Yeah, no, this is all making sense now. Now, you need to take a break and have some wine, because I feel like I'm drinking alone here. All right. Let's move on. After some time, Kathy would also have dreams of the murder. She would actually dream the entire murder through the eyes of Ronald DeFeo. And when asked to recall details, she would know things that were purposely kept from the public. So that's kind of creepy. Trippy. Yeah. Okay, this is kind of like, if you guys haven't seen The Conjuring 2... Uh, oh yeah, the intro to that movie. She uh, they they're having kind of like a seance. Lorraine Warren, yeah, yeah and she's, she's on... in the house and she has an experience where she sees everything through his eyes, like it's her. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the cooler parts of the movie. Yeah, so this is kind of like that. That's trippy. Yeah, so honestly, like throughout this entire story, you're gonna find out that it's just gonna trigger a memory in some horror movie or another. Because oh, it's, the, it's probably the most borrowed from story in yeah, history. Yeah, so it just kind of, it's like this story was ripped apart 
and other horror movies took pieces from it because it's just like used in a lot of stuff right now. Shall we say the Citizen Kane of horror? The Citizen Kane of horror. Rosebud. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anyway, that movie sucked. Um, (laughs) I'm probably going to piss off a lot of people. I can see I can I can see the value of it. I saw it in a film class and I totally get it, but it was kind of boring. Anyway. It's like caviar. I get why people like it. Yeah, I don't like it. I'm just like, eh, it's not for me. It's too fancy. <laughs> Another messed up thing that happened was that the Lutz children, while they slept, would always end up in the exact same position as the DeFeo children were found when they were murdered. What? Yeah, so, like, let's say you were the mom and you went to go check on your kids. She would say that the way she saw their body's position was exactly how she saw the children murdered in her nightmares. And later she would see the um, pictures of the murdered children. And she's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, that's exactly what I saw. Super creepy. The family dog was also being affected by the hauntings. He attempted to kill himself multiple times. What? I know. <laughs> when I saw the documentary. How does that happen? I don't know. But like, uh, for example, while he was tied up outside, he would often run and choke himself. Like he would purposely be hurting himself every time. He would also jump a fence and he would hang there until someone would have to throw him over for, to safety. To me, it just sounded like he was trying to get away. But the way the family saw it, it just like, it looked like he was trying to hurt himself. Oh, that poor dog. It's so sad. It, to me, it sounds like he's trying to get away, and like his safety means nothing, because he's just too scared. Like he, It's so overwhelming. Exactly. Uh, relating to the dog, George found a room in the basement that wasn't in the original blueprints. Oh my god, that's my nightmare. That's your nightmare? <laughs> I was I just thinking I never want to live in a house with a basement, and my number one fear is living in a house with a basement, and you find a hidden room. Yeah, I think that's... I And so, there you go. The Conjuring, the first movie, that's kind of where... They found a hidden basement. They found something in... They found the hidden basement. They so, were going to have to, though, because the heater was in it. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Right? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> it's like, how would we get heat in here? Yeah, exactly. So that was definitely expected. But no, totally kind of the same thing when they bought the house. I guess they didn't realize it was there. I don't know. Most people would be like, hell yeah, more square footage. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. we're selling it. I'm out of here. I'm burning it. So he found a room. And when he discovered it, he saw that the entire room was painted red. The dog would refuse to go in there. You couldn't even drag him in there. And when it got too close, it would start to bark, bite, and freak out completely. So it was just a, it was a no-go for the dog. The property also had, like I said, a boathouse in the backyard. And in many nights, the garage door would open and close on its own. The entire family would witness this at the same time. They would stand there and watch it as it opened and closed on its own. I should also mention that I mean, I'm not saying obvious, like, everyone knows this, but this was, like, in 1976 or 75, and so they didn't have, like, the electric door, remote control kind of thing at the time, not on this mechanism anyway, so it wasn't really, like, possible for this to happen, or at least not easily. So one night when the doors opened again, like the garage doors, but this time didn't close on their own, George and the oldest son went outside to shut it. While they were outside, both men happened to, to look up and see on the second floor window where one of the little girls slept was what they described a pig-like creature staring back at them. Specifically, they said it looked cartoonish with sharp teeth and red glowing eyes. Upon seeing this, they both ran back into the house, into the girl's room, but when they got there, nothing was there, not even the little girl or anything. 
The only strange thing they noticed was that the rocking chair was rocking violently back and forth on its own. The chair kept rocking for a long time. Like they would leave the room, come back. It was still still rocking. <laughs> rocking all night. <laughs> yeah. And, but they were like, well, I don't know. Do you stop it? So they just kind of like left see, it alone. See, I don't know what's creepier. So they find this creepy pig thing. Right. But they describe it as cartoony, and for some reason that bothers me more than if it looked like a realistic pig. Yeah. Because I was like, what if it's just a crazy rabbit animal in my house? But when it looks cartoony, you're like, oh, nothing's going right here. Yeah, I think it's like in their description, it was just so disfigured. I mean, it was pig-like, but it wasn't a pig. You know what I mean? It was just different. Exaggerated, almost. So yeah, that is also um, something that you kind of hear also in other haunting stories or possession stories. Certain animals that appear in a very similar fashion, like uh, when there's demonic presence, it's not uncommon to see perversed or disfigured animals in that same fashion. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. I didn't know that, though. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I had talked about how animals appear and they look freaking weird. Mm-hmm. If you remember, I think it was a Bell Witch story. There was like that one horse with a human face. Oh, that's right. I do remember that. Or something like that. Yeah. And so it's just, it's popped up a few times, but yeah. So if I see BoJack Horseman, there's a possession nearby. Yeah. But if he hands you a drink, just get it. Just accept (laughs) it. Just drink it. It's fine. Uh, One of the younger daughters started to have an imaginary friend whose name was the same name as a little girl that was murdered there. I think her name was Jody because I think that's what they said in the documentary. The playroom also happened to be in the same room that Jody had died in. If that wasn't scary enough, the pig creature would often be seen hanging around the daughter. Family members would say that they could uh, see the creature standing next to her. So, like, they would look at her for a second, you know, like, kind of kind of not paying attention, but then they would look and see it and then, like, turn back around and then it would be gone. So they made so. it 28 days. If 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 I had a daughter <laughs> yeah. and I walk into the room and I see a crazy pig demon right mm-hmm. next to her, my first thought isn't, oh, okay, there's some weird stuff, but we're just going to see how this plays out. Right. I'd be like, I'm grabbing my daughter and we are GTFO. We're getting the hell out of here. Yeah. yeah. I am never being in this house again. Yeah. No, I, I'm i with you, but you know. I do think it's interesting, though, because when we were at the cabin a couple weeks back and we were actually kind of scared, we didn't do anything <laughs> at all. We so, didn't do so, shit. So maybe my, maybe my theory about, oh, man, I would not do that. Maybe if we're in like a terrifying situation, I'll be like, huh. We are that stupid. Well, to be fair, we didn't see anything. <laughs> no, that's true. But maybe we are that stupid. Maybe we could have. I'll, honestly, I think if you know me, I am pretty stubborn. So I think if I saw something outside, I'd be like, no, I paid for this cabin. You can wait. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. This costs money. This costs me money. And these I people are living you. in a house that cost. I mean, like, even though they got a good discount, they got the uh, could murder have been, discount. Right. It could have been expensive for them. I mean, it's expensive for us. So Damn money. Capitalism at its best. <laughs> I think we should take a break because you need oh. to drink more wine and I need more wine. And we'll be right back because this story is fascinating and I need more. So we'll see you guys in a few. <laughs> All right. We're back. We got our fresh wine with us. And we were just discussing how good or bad we would be in terms of saving our child from a creepy pig creature (laughs) if we just happened to see them hang out with them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely what happened. Uh, The family did see the creature often with the little girl. And then later... they did nothing. Well, I don't know what they could have done. Well, 
Okay, you mean like they didn't run away? Yes. Uh-huh. So they didn't do anything for sure. Yeah, I didn't mean they like needed to like call up the president and ask for executive <laughs> actions. I mean, just do something. Excuse me, Mr. President. Please help me. Who would have been the president? I just imagine over the door and they see the pig creature and they're just like, "This is fine." And then they just close <laughs> the door and they're like, "This house is weird." Uh, why? So yeah, the um, so the little girl actually eventually would end up admitting to her family or to her mother anyway that she saw the pig all the time as well but this didn't come after i think because she's little she didn't really know although i don't she wasn't that small i think she was like five or something maybe maybe that's like a weird time for a kid where they're still fantasizing or fan or you know fantasy is still very real to them so seeing this they're like it's probably fine because it wasn't hurting her yeah you know Five-year-olds are smart, but they're also still five-year-olds. So, yeah. I mean... Yeah, they're just little. That's I don't, fine. I, we can't put any blame on this Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying blame. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like, I feel like this would have been important to, to share. But even then, it's they're also at such a young age that they will be impressionable. Meaning, if they're told something even just a few years later, it's easy for them to maybe possibly concoct false memories. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You never know. In another incident, the mother found her daughter standing on the roof... After she was retrieved safely back into the house, they asked her why she was even up there. She responded and said that her imaginary friend was with her and told her to walk on the roof. And when she reached the edge, Jody told her that if she wanted to be friends forever, she had to jump. Damn. Yeah, that's so fucked. Slime would also start to come out of the walls. Now, do you think... Okay, wait a minute. We have to get... <laughs> we're going to get back to that slime. Okay. I just, I, that just processed as I was doing the other thing. Sure. The way I see it is either it's a demon who just wants a kid to die, or it is the ghost of a little girl, and she wants another friend that's a ghost, and she really just wants a friend. And And that one's really depressing. Yeah. Because then I feel like Jody is also a young girl and doesn't understand if she was a ghost there. And so I'm like, oh, she just wants a friend to be... And forever. this wouldn't be an old ghost either. So, you no. know, the the little girl would have only died like about a year before. Yeah. So, yeah, that's and super then, sad. But if it's a demon, oh, man, the whole thing's messed up. All right. So now that I've established <laughs> that, slime is coming out of the walls, I hear. Slime is now oozing out of the walls. And uh, they thought it was mold or some sort of water damage. They had no idea what was going on. And they could never actually really figure it out either. It was described as being like green sludge. And this is also another very common kind of characteristic during a possession of a house. So I think I mentioned this in a past haunting story, too. Maybe not. But I've heard it before. So I guess, like, with my knowledge of just lore of possessions and and whatnot, it's not that weird. Okay. I mean, it's weird, but not in context. (laughs) (laughs) So some uh, parapsychologists call it ectoplasm which is often a viscous substance that forms when there's a paranormal mas- manifestation. It's kind of like a residue or discharge. <laughs> I know it sounds gross, but it's kind of like like the results of, of manifestation. So it's a, a, the physicality of it. But yeah. yeah. You remember how everyone was talking about how like moist is supposed to be like, the most <laughs> disgusting word in the hi- history of the English language? Did I just trigger a worse I'm one? I'm <laughs> pretty sure discharge is worse. Discharge is probably worse. Yeah. yeah. And we're not talking about like being discharged from the military. We're talking no. about fluid discharge bodily discharge yeah (laughs) remember health class in high school kids nope yeah (laughs) i try not to when we hear those words Uh, yeah so the other children in the house also started to have dreams 
of the murder. Uh, particularly one son, he would dream often that his dog would be murdered. So it wasn't just necessarily what the events that took place in the house, but sure. just a lot of death and nightmares and things like that would start happening. And, and that just sucks for the mental health of any <laughs> child. So, yeah. At times, there were also a foul stench in the house that would appear when the crucifix on the wall would turn upside down on its own. Such a classic symbol. Very classic. Whenever this happened, everyone would open the windows because the smell was so overpowering. And one day when the kids were trying to open the windows, a few of them were stuck. Like, a few of the windows were stuck, which apparently was also a common thing that happened in the house. Like, a window would be unopenable, even when it was fine a few days prior. And uh, so there was, like, no rhyme or reason when these windows So it was just momentarily unopenable, but it would be fine again later? Yeah, so, like, it didn't make any sense. I was going to say... A window sucking is not a weird thing to me. Until it only sucks when you really need to open it. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So one of the windows that was stuck at that time, the oldest son was trying to open it. And when he finally managed to open it, he kind of turned around and told whoever was in the room with him saying, oh, I got it. But his hand was still on the ledge. And so while his face or while his face, while his head was turned away, the window slammed back down, completely flattening his hands and crushing his bones. Well, when the kid was obviously screaming his head off, everyone in the house rushed into the room and were trying to open the door or the window. Like even there was a friend of the father that was visiting that day and he saw this happen too. Like they could not get that fucking window open. I feel really bad for the kid, but I'm just imagining (laughs) this is the most angry Dutch oven ever performed in the history like this ghost is like oh man i'm gonna get him so good yeah i was like you have you must smell this now (laughs) smell my presence oh my god essence by demon so the kid he's obviously in pain and in crying probably at this point but anyway they couldn't get it open and they all kind of not step back but since it's not working they're trying to figure out what to do while no one is actually trying to open the window, it suddenly lifts on its own. So he is finally freed. That's fucked up. Yeah, completely. And uh, when when he was freed, his mom and him rushed down the stairs to at least put some ice on it. And I guess maybe like call someone. I can't remember what. I'm sure there were like hystericals, but they knew that they had to put ice on it first. So while she was in the kitchen, the mom... She turns around to get the ice, and while the son is sitting in his chair, he turned to towards the doorway where he saw an apparition standing there of a woman. The apparition then walked towards him and walked to the table where his hands were resting on. And then she, when she sat down next to him, he looked back to his hands and he saw that they were completely healed. He could move them and he was no longer in pain. When he looked back to see the woman, she was gone. And when the mom turned around to, like, put ice on it, she had no idea what had happened. She's like, what? We just saw your hands were completely smashed. Oh, so she's supposed to be, like, maybe an angelic presence? Maybe an angelic presence. Maybe it's the mom that died there, and she's not, like, crazy and evil and trying to help them out. <laughs> she's like, sorry about my <laughs> psycho son who killed everybody. And the but... pig that apparently lives here. So... <laughs> but not all of us are bad. Yeah, not not everyone's crazy. Please don't listen to my daughter. She wants everyone to jump on the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's her thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's she's kind of weird. So that same son had another experience when one night after getting into 
Another fight with his stepdad. He was walking away and headed towards the staircase. His mom was then chasing after him, and uh, when she was behind him and he reached the staircase, something, a force of some sort, pushed him up the stairs, like threw him up all the way to the top. And the kid claimed that at that moment he was possessed. So, like, he didn't feel like he was himself, and he was any, he was not able to control his body. When his mom ran up the stairs to check on him, he remembered that when he looked back at her, he didn't recognize her face, or, like, as his mother. And when his mother touched his arm to help him up, he could feel whatever was possessing him at that moment transfer into his mom, like, through her arm or something, like, out his arm into her, probably. And so when that happened... He looked at her face and she could see that her eyes were going red and she looked like she was in a trance and then it all kind of disappeared and the evilness lifted in the air. So it was like this entire strange possessing moment. So all of this has been happening within 28 days. This sounds like a really busy 28 days. <laughs> I know. This is a very long... Uh, yeah, you're right because this is so much activity in such a small time frame. So I don't know. I mean, seriously, usually if I have, like, two errands to run during the week, I'm like, damn, this is a busy week. <laughs> but these people, they're like, oh, yeah, so we had seven possession moments today. Yeah. Uh, the day before, that was 14. My daughter so, almost jumped off a roof. So we're just trying to see how long yeah. we can go with the pig creature. Yeah. Just check Let's it out. just see where this goes. We're not convinced. So this family, I don't know about them. I don't know either. We'll see. So there was also another time when George was tending the fire. Uh, He was bent down, and when he turned around to talk to Kathy, who was in the same room, he saw that her face was disfigured, and he said that it looked like a part of it was completely blown off. So, like, it was a shotgun blast. So he's starting to get the visions now, too. So he's he's definitely getting the visions, and he's seeing her, but she has no idea what he's looking at. So she's like, what are you, what's wrong? So, again, it's kind of like this uh, theory at the time that was happening in the house that he was kind of being taken over, too, and he was... He was, like, in a bad place. He was probably in the worst shape of everyone else, but everyone else was kind of going through it, too. Totally. Since this was December, there was a lot of snow on the ground, and it was also common for the family to see outside hoof prints that led to the house. <laughs> like, mm. Now, that is uncommon. That's not... You usually don't see hoof prints just in a neighborhood. I mean, I guess, like, a deer, sure, but, like, always, all the time, and it always led to the house. I'm like, no... No. <laughs> That's just piglet. <laughs> it's piglet. <laughs> Again. Yeah, our dog's suicidal, so we decided to get a new pet, piglet. Yeah. <laughs> he adopted us. Right. I was chosen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so by this point, everyone in the neighborhood knew there was something wrong going, there was something definitely going on there. And a lot of the neighborhood children would sometimes say that they'd feel like they were being watched or followed whenever they were walking by the house. So it wasn't even like, I mean, it was kind of known that there might have been something weird. And of course, there's stories because there That's were kids, literally like murders that yeah. happened there. But all of this, while it was happening at the same time, they're like, no, I literally feel like something followed me into the house. I, You know, kids I, are not, kids. Yeah, I, kids are kids. I mean, at this point, <laughs> if an old person lives at the house, they're like, it's haunted. Right. And I guess I should say, but you know, it was it was part of the story. So I thought no, I'd no, mention totally. it. No, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here we are. <laughs> so on the 28th day, on January 14th, 1976, two of the boys who shared a room were in their beds getting ready to go to bed. 
And when all of a sudden their beds lifted from the ground, literally levitating, and started to slam against each other. Aside from the impossibility of levitation, the beds were also cemented into the ground, so there really wasn't a way for them to to move on in general. <laughs> Why would the beds be cemented into the ground? I don't know. Maybe it was I'm like, questioning this already. Maybe it's like a 70s thing. I was like, this is supposed to be a fancy old, like, near-million-dollar house. And like, oh, yeah, but all the beds are cemented down. You're like, no. No, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It could be a thing. All right, all right. The kids were, of course, screaming for help, and all while this was happening, George was stuck in his bed. He described it as feeling like something heavy was sitting on his chest, and when he looked over to Kathy at the same time, she saw that she was levitating above the bed, and when he saw her face, her face looked like she was like 100 years old, like she looked super old, and obviously he was freaking out, but... Eventually, the father was able to to get out of the bed and and run. So the first thing he did, he was he ran to the phone that was nearby to call for help. And unfortunately, though, the phone was dead, or rather, there was static. Like he said, he could hear sure. static, but okay. but he couldn't get anything working. But there was another phone, and it was in the basement. So <laughs> so he rushed down the basement. Who put a phone in the basement. I don't know. Some psycho <laughs> who would paint a room red. I don't know. In case you're hanging out in your basement as everyone does, we want to make sure that people can get a hold of you. <laughs> I guess that was his office if I remember correctly. Like They made it into the office area, so an office would have a phone. So he heads down to the basement to make so, a call. Yeah, he does. And luckily the phone is actually working. Hmm. His first call, however, was to the priest and he told him, please come by now. I needed to bless the house or like help us because we're having a lot of things happening and it's getting really bad. The priest said no <laughs> <laughs> and suggested that his family leave immediately. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> one, I, I don't blame the priest because right? I'd probably freaked out. But I'd like to point out one thing. Crazy stuff's been happening. Daughter almost jumps off the roof, mm-hmm. talking to the imaginary friend who says to kill yourself. They're seeing the pig creatures, the horrible smells, the temperature issues, all this creepy stuff, seeing images of shotgun blast. All this stuff was fine. They were okay I with mean, it. that's cool. Yet, all of a sudden, he sees his wife looking really old, and then he's just like, <laughs> oh, this is not happening. He's like, oh, no, you didn't. He sounds like a jerk. Yeah. He's just like, old wife? That's where I draw the line. Also, yeah, I saw interviews of his wife. She was really pretty, but I don't know if that's relevant at all. But so I guess, like, he, so if losing he his was, token wife, he's like, all right, it's time to call the priest. Yeah, he's like, no, I need, I need her back. Yeah, he sounds like a jerk. Yeah, well, he was kind of an asshole while he was living there, so I don't know. <laughs> he, he sounded like he was pretty rude. Anyway, so yeah, so he calls the priest, tells him to get out. However, right before they actually left, George and Kathy decided to bless the house themselves by praying out loud. While they were doing this, they would hear voices coming from all around them, telling them to stop, but it wasn't a mocking voice. Basically, it was a house making fun of them. <laughs> Please stop. Oh, no. Don't. I can't help it. <laughs> well, it was like, Did you no. bring sage? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my weakness. <laughs> Not sage. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so it was basically mocking them, like, making it seem like what they were doing was so ridiculous because it was not going to work on them. I'm such a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't even know. 
So they obviously were like, it's not working. And then they actually left the house and they never, ever returned. Did they hire a company to get all their shit out of it? Nope. So I'll get to that in a second. Oh, wow. This is actually a plot point. Now I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I can just tell you right now. I don't even know when. Oh, well, like, I think you I wrote it. saving it for later. Yeah, it's super sultry. No, it's it's just what happened was uh, the government took over the property. And then after they were deciding to sell the house, before they could, they actually just had an estate sale. So they sold all their stuff. Yeah, and they didn't get anything back. Mm, that is scared. Yeah. Gotta be scared if you're like, yeah, just get rid of everything. Yeah. The family did eventually move to California. So literally like on the other side of the country. And yeah, never returned really. Uh, there was a one return from George, but I'll, that's actually part of the story. So I'll, I'll tell you that stuff now. So let's just kind of like aftermath, investigation, stuff I'm going to be talking about. After this happened, people began to ask questions and the story soon got a lot of media attention. The family eventually did allow a news station to interview them, but the Lutz also asked that they respect the privacy of their children. A local paranormal investigation group gathered to do an an investigation on March 6, 1976. So that's the same year, but a a few months later. Mediums, psychics, reporters, and uh, a film crew went to the house that same day. Also in the mix was Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Warrens. The Warrens. <laughs> so, I love them in the Conjuring movies, but in real life, they're yeah. shady folk. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little about about what they experienced, or rather Lorraine. At one point, Lorraine stopped in a mid-step while she was in the upstairs, and she turned to one of the people that was with her, and she said, quote, I hope this is as close to hell as I'll ever get, end quote. Now, if you remember, the playroom was also the place that the, the priest... Where the kids were killed. Well, the kids were killed and the priest freaked out. Okay. So okay. another person having a bad experience. Well, Lorraine said that she couldn't enter the pl- the actual playroom because when she looked inside, she could see a hundred shadowy figures staring back at her that wouldn't let her enter the room. Another, That's fucked up. Yeah. I feel like, I'm sorry, how many figures? How can you distinguish from one shadowy one to the next? But I guess there were very, there were a lot of them. Another medium that was there said that during a seance, she saw hooded, cloaked creatures forming around them as the seance continued. So that was just, mm -mm. no, thank you. One medium, her name was Ethel, who was, I guess, also famous at the time, had the ability to allow spirits to use her body for communication, much like Whoopi Goldberg did in the movie Ghost. (laughs) And You always bring up that movie. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to now for the rest of time. I can swear, even, it, like, your tombstone will be like, it'll have your name, it'll be like, she loved the movie Ghost. <laughs> I, it's just, like, one of my comfort movies. I don't know why, okay? <laughs> when I'm, like, in a depression or whatever, I'm just like, look, I need to just pop in Ghost and have coffee. So, that's what I do. <laughs> and The Conjuring. That's my other one. Yeah, and- these are both very normal <laughs> options. Oh, sometimes also the Blair Witch Project, but that's a little different. That's something that I have in the background while I'm doing other stuff, because I feel like you don't have to watch it the whole time, right? No? I like, I like how you <laughs> threw that in there, like, oh, well, this is a normal one, Blair Witch Project. <laughs> You're just staring at me like, what are you talking about? And sometimes for, you know, stress relief, I just draw pentagrams. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very difficult to draw a really nice circle, so you can practice all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Ethel... Whoopi Goldberg. And, okay, so she said that at one point, since she was able to, like, kind of allow the spirits or whoever manifest into her body and, like, 
talk for her. Like you, sure. like they're just using her body. While she was at the house, one of the reporters that was interviewed in the documentary said that her and other people witnessed Ethel literally form an Adam's apple. Her voice changed about six octaves lower, and she began to speak in some uh, Native American language that they couldn't identify. And when she did start to actually speak English, the ghost said that his body was buried on the property. So now we're kind of getting like that. Oh my God, is this the original Indian burial ground? No, <laughs> I don't think it's the original, but but this is like obviously just, I guess the, the point was that there might be many spirits and the death of the DeFeos weren't just a one-time incident. Like there could be a lot of negative stuff going on there. So yeah. Unfortunately, uh, they didn't get a lot of proof as far as like, when I say proof, I mean physical proof. They had a lot of mediums telling them things all the time. Yeah, because if whatnot. they had found physical so. proof, we would know <laughs> today. Yeah, uh, one reporter that was there remembers that the mediums were saying how they felt, but she said during the interview she didn't see or feel anything herself. However, one non-believer, Steve, who was a cameraman. <laughs> Good old Steve. Good old Steve uh, did have an experience when he approached the stairs. He was unable to go up them like something was preventing him from going there not so much like physically but he described it as a gut feeling like he shouldn't go up there then everyone saw him crouch down over and grab his chest and he said that he was having chest pains and his heart was racing and he had to like remove himself from the situation so he just had to like leave the area and as soon as he left that like staircase room area he he was, he was totally fine yeah because i think he thought he was having a heart attack and so was everyone else but as soon as he left he's like oh i guess i'm fine yeah super weird the second thing that happened uh, that was not medium related was that one of the cameras that was set up at the bottom of the staircase facing the stairs captured a little boy mm. the camera was on a tripod and was set to take a picture every 15 seconds you can see clear as day a little boy peeking over the staircase handrails. His eyes are bright white, and he is a striking resemblance of one of the DeFeo children that was murdered. There were about 20 people that day, you know, investigating, and they all confirmed that there There's were no no, there. no children on the premises whatsoever. You can look up the so pictures. So I can see this picture online? I can. I'm actually going to show it to you right now. Oh! Yeah. I love visual aids. <laughs> Here, let me turn my laptop. Um, so here is the picture. I don't know if you can see it. I can't see nothing. So that's the little boy's face. Oh, I can kind of see it. I think it's... Super tiny. It is. Well, he is a small child. But yeah, I, I think when you get a closer look at it, I know you're a little farther away, but it looks legit like a kid. And then this other picture here is a side-by-side comparison to one of the kids that were murdered in the house. Oh, I can see the face better there. Yeah. And so... That's really creepy. It looks just like him, which is really weird. That's really, actually, a really disturbing image. <laughs> You're welcome. So, yeah, uh, I saw that last night at, like, around, I don't know, 2 a.m. I was Don't not... worry, you watched The Office afterwards. Totally calmed you down. I totally watched The Office, and I was like, See, that's all a normal well. thing that comforts you. Well, no, I mean, that's just comforting TV that I can watch all day. But when I'm, like, in a bummed-out mood, I like to watch some of my scary movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they got a little boy on camera. So they got a little boy on camera. And like I said, there were a lot of people there. There's no way for anyone else to be there. I mean, I guess a kid from the neighborhood could have snuck in the house, but that's just so unlikely, I feel. The white eyes, though. Yeah. 
you guys have to see Obviously, this. Obviously, you, you could have modified picture. the picture, but yeah, no, it's it's it's. But this was taken in like image. 1976, and I don't know. Like, I just feel. I mean, Photoshop wasn't a thing, obviously, so it's yeah, I mean, just it would have been a very difficult thing to do. And they got it; the film developed that weekend, and it was by the people that were just there to like find evidence. It wasn't necessarily doctored. It would have been very difficult to yeah. do in such uh, yeah, a t- I mean, short time frame. It could have been faked, but yeah. the thing is, if the story is true and there was no faking. That's right. a really, really terrifying image. Exactly. And this is why it's considered to be, uh, by many people, one of the best pieces of evidence of paranormal occurrence. Like, it's just, it's one of the best things that anyone has ever been able to capture, uh, considering the time frame, considering who it looks like, and when it was taken. It's just, it's pretty impressive, I think. So, like I said, uh, the family never, ever returned to the property again, but George... Lutz did actually meet the investigative group that went there on March 6th. And the reporter who was there also with her camera crew and everything said like, oh yeah, he met us like at the street and everything, but he like literally refused to set foot on the property. So that was as close as he's gotten since that night he left and never returned. Interesting. Yeah. That's fear at that point. You'd think with right? all these other people, you'd be okay with it, but no. Or or maybe like if he was looking for some sort of fame or whatever, but like, yeah, I'll be here. I mean, there's a camera crew, you know, you get the, the Warrens, blah, blah, blah. But I don't no. know, right? So either missed opportunity or, or he really wasn't looking for fame at that moment. So what caused this is like really the question here. It might seem like the violent murders might have been the cause of all of it and the hauntings and the possessions. But there is another theory. It's believed that George Lutz was into the occult even before he moved into the Amityville house uh, with the combination. Well, so maybe he so, wanted to live in the house. Yeah. So I don't know. Like it could have been a huge combination of things. It was a murder. It was his presence. He could have brought something with him, triggered something with his rituals because in different interviews, the children had confirmed that they saw George, his step, their stepfather, practice strange rituals in the house. If this is true, then a lot of the hauntings make a lot of more sense. Although I'm not, I'm, I'm curious to know like what his end goal was because a lot of things went obviously really wrong. Like he was scared too. Like he refused to get back into the well, property. Yeah, maybe he just did it poorly. He went a little yeah. too far, and then he realized, eh, I messed up. Yeah, exactly. Like he couldn't control the evil anymore. If he even ever had control, I don't know. But in the interview, or rather in the documentary, somebody said, and I quoted them, said that it was like the perfect psychic storm. So it was just like a series of events, like the death of the family being so recent, George Lutz making crazy rituals (laughs) in the house. And yeah, it was just a bad, bad situation. Skeptics would say that they made everything up so that they can make a ton of money. So there's also that side of the coin. But it doesn't sound like they made a lot of money. Well, it is it is a kind of a reasonable assumption because the Lutz did end up writing the best-selling book. So they had another, an actual like author write the book for them. Yeah, sure. And they did get movie deals that I guess they were involved in as well. Oh, okay. So maybe they did make, okay. Maybe, right. yeah. But also I get it though. Like if something horrible happened to you and you're willing to talk about it, you might as well make some money. I'm not saying like be a sellout or or you know like what you went Fucking through but movie I don't deals sound sellout though <laughs> that's yeah. not an interview on the news that's right. not going and speaking at churches movie deal and book that's money yeah i guess they it, it, i don't know if it's their way of coping or they're just like look this happened to me i might as well make some money 
it depends on the person, your personality maybe. But anyway, so uh, the next thing that even kind of threw me off, so this is another fact, made me a little skeptical, even myself. So for whatever reason, let's hired Ronald DeFeo's defense attorney to represent them in the whole ordeal, like with the book signings and the press conference. and That's really weird. It's a little weird. It sounds a little um, like... That's for sure. Seeking for media attention. Yeah, right. Exactly. In the documentary, the attorney relayed that one night, he, George, and Kathy Lutz were talking and drinking tons of wine from around 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. The attorney even admitted that he couldn't even tell you how many bottles they drank. Then he drops the bomb and says that he shared information about the case that was originally not released to the public. He even showed the Lutz pictures of the crime scene. The attorney recalls that when he showed them the pictures with green powder that was used with fingerprints, so that was all over the walls, the green powder, the Lutz said, oh, that's just like the green slime we saw up here on the walls. Then there was a picture of one of the kids that was shot, and they could see uh, flies on the wall. Sorry, this is kind of descriptive, but... And then the Lutz would also say, hey, now we know why there were so many flies when we saw in the house. But this information was kind of new to everyone. Sure, sure. So, they, I, so it was very difficult to determine whether they were saying these things and they were making it up as they were getting more information or it was them. They were really experiencing these things and they were realizing. Finally relating and they're like, oh, hmm. this is finally an explanation. I get it now. So it, I don't know. Like, which way, which way do you go? It's still, why are they even dealing with DeFeo's defense attorney? That's weird. That's the weird part to me, for sure. So I should also mention that as many paranormal investigators went into the house looking for evidence, there were also an equal amount of skeptic investigators that went there to debunk everything. One particular investigator went into the upstairs room where the window would open and close, and he and his partner noticed that the floors were also uneven. When the other guy stepped on a particular soft spot on the floor, the window then flew open. They did this multiple times, and it turns out that the weight of the window was off, and stepping in a certain area of the floor caused the window open. I'm not going to fucking lie. I had no idea what he was talking about. But it sounds pretty extreme. For- it seems, yeah. This is what he said he found, and he's like, this explains this. And apparently he claimed that he was able to replicate it, But is he lying? Or, I mean, I didn't see any video of this happening or whatever or anyone else talking about it. Well, it's so weird to have a window. It depends how the window opens. I don't know. I was picturing something that opened up and down. Maybe it was left and right, and that would have been a slightly different scenario. No, because it had to been up and down because that's how the kids' fingers were smashed on the ledge. And it was that same window that they were investigating. It's a really weird window. If you can step on the floor and it flies open, I'm like, come on. Yeah, so that's just... You can look at the documentary. That's how he described it. I tried to write it down the best way I could as far as how I understood it. But yeah, that's how he, that's what he said. There's so much back and forth on what really happened and people giving their own interpretations of what they think happened. And it's just, it gets very confusing. There's so many details in this case. For example, in one of the first interviews that the Lutz gave, their experience would have been considered to be low level hauntings. They only described hearing footsteps and door creaks, but nothing else. So there was no, like, the full apparitions, levitations, pigs, nothing. And obviously, George also would say later that it was because they weren't ready to talk about it. They weren't sure what this would lead to. They were kind of, like, traumatized, obviously, by the whole experience. And so that's what his reasoning was. But a lot of skeptics use it as a way to make it seem like 
they were just making it up more and more as time went on because they were getting more attention. So they felt like they had to sensationalize a lot of it. For sure. You can also look at the family itself. There were other interviews, not in the documentary I saw, but I read articles where the children were interviewed and it seemed like they had something to say about it as well. Meaning like if they were involved in it or if they did see something, it would have come out today that it was all a lie. At oh, least, yeah. At least one of them. is. It would be very difficult to control an entire family one for them to lie. One or two liars can go a long time. Yeah. But once you get along over two, it... Especially the younger ones who might have been like, I don't remember any of this. And they yeah. could have just said that. But no, a lot of them were like, no, I do remember this. It's very traumatizing, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I do always think that's a pretty decent thing to consider is yeah. if you have a long enough time and something still hasn't come out, you're like, wow. Unless we're talking a single liar. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of telling. People mm-hmm. aren't good at keeping secrets. So also I want to talk about like before I end the story, how it affected the neighborhood because there's, there's some pretty funny things and also like horrible things. But so once the book and movie had gotten released, hundreds of people would come from all over the world to see the house. Absolutely. The neighbors would say that their lawns were destroyed because so many people would walk over it to get to the house. <laughs> <laughs> and like, some tourists even acted like it was a religious experience. Neighbors would say that they would see them sometimes standing out in the rain and just without saying a word, staring at the house for hours. Man, people are crazy. So we live I'm right? we live in Albuquerque where Breaking Bad was filmed and there's this scene uh in like the first season I believe where Brian Cranston's character throws a pizza oh, the, on the roof yeah. and it's a very famous scene even people who haven't seen the show have seen the scene well apparently the people who live in that house because actual humans with lives right. live there they had a problem with people running buying pizzas and throwing it on the roof and taking pictures so they'd like they wake so up in the morning up. and there'd be like pizzas on their roof and I'm like this isn't cool people people need to remember there's other humans yeah. going on here yeah it's not cool yeah you know it was like something that the family definitely accepted when they were having the movie because you know they were being compensated to use their house or whatever I I don't know if they ever thought about like the repercussions but yeah they still like I think there's like a giant gate now around the house I don't even know absolutely I'm talking about the Breaking Bad house no 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 I think yeah anyway with I would have just put a permanent fake pizza up there that would have that would have been smart yeah and just be like yeah take pictures whatever I mean seriously I (laughs) I would put like a naked cardboard picture of someone like I don't know who (laughs) a demon (laughs) a creepy naked demon Uh, anyway so yeah they they were definitely experiencing a lot of the crazy people would also go up to the house to touch it grab something off of it or even just rip pieces of the lawn so they can have something to take with them that's so weird yeah a next door neighbor was interviewed in the documentary and he said that he would see people picnic in his yard (laughs) I guess (laughs) And even one time, a Swedish nuns got stuck down his driveway, which he's like, I don't even know how they got there, but I think they were just lost. And, and yeah, he was just like, he's like, it was crazy. It was just insane. All over the world, people coming down. Yeah. On March 18th, 1977, Jim and Barbara Cromarty, I think is their name, purchased a house. From the moment they walked into the house, the Cromartys felt fine. And they said that they've lived there without incident, except for, of course, the occasional crazy tourist. Yeah, but haven't, I think I I heard, didn't they live there for like 20 years? 
Um, and they never had a problem? They left, I think, in 87. Oh, okay, so like 10 years or Something so? Something like that, yeah. And they never had a problem? No. Uh, they did have a statement that read, though, they were very upset with the Lutz. Like, they hated them. They said, quote, The quiet village of Amity, Long Island, has been made infamous by a hoax. It will possibly never be the same. None of us will be here today if a responsible publisher and author had not given credibility to two liars and allowed them the privilege of putting the words true on a book in which all actuality is a novel. The credibility of the hoax stems from using a charlatan Catholic priest who has been banned from performing his religious duties by the Diocese of Rockville Center. Archdiocese. Diocese? Is that how you say it's it? diocese, yeah. Okay, sorry. The equivalent of being disbarred as a lawyer is what yeah. they said. This charlatan priest has been involved with a complicity to a lie and therefore deserves no credibility and should be dealt with accordingly, end quote. The comedies also sued the Lutz for false representation and other things here and there, which eventually led to a private settlement. My guess is that they just wanted the Lutz to shut up about it so that they can live their own lives in the house. Absolutely. And so the neighborhood can find some peace because the, I think it was the... Uh, I don't, I don't know if it was both of them, but Jim definitely said that he grew up in Amityville and he loved the way the neighborhood was before everything went to hell. And he definitely puts a lot of blame to the Lutz family for it. A bunch of hoaxers that ruined everything. Oh, yeah, exactly. They, it's just like a shit show. And I can't imagine the things that they had to go through as well. But the yeah, so the movie obviously came out in 1979. So this would have been around the time that the Cromerys also lived at the house. So I think that's kind of where They'd they been were. Like a year. Yeah, it would have been a year, and because of the movie and obviously the book, they were just dealing with the aftermath. And I think that's why they sued him because they're like, "You don't even live here anymore. Could you stop talking about this house?" It's I can imagine how lives. hard that would be. But yeah. I also, for one, would be like, I would sell tours into my own house. <laughs> And like with popcorn and little things, and I would capitalize the hell out of it. I know, you're like, might as well. I'd like go out there and be like, you cannot take photos unless you pay. Uh, Here's our special Amityville popcorn and all our stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Like the popcorn was made in the haunted house, so eat a little bit of the haunting yourself. Eat a little haunted. Oh man, I would become a millionaire. Yeah. Just selling the worst kitschy crap. (laughs) Because if you're willing to fly from another country... You should, like, frame blades of grass from the property. Yeah, you can make, like, tons of money. Yeah, if you're going to fly from another country to see a haunted house, Mm -hmm. you're going to buy popcorn and blades of grass Mm -hmm. in the house. Mm Because you're gullible. (laughs) Or just for fun. But yeah, so they, uh, they definitely made a movie. And also, George Lutz did say that when the 1979 movie came out... He couldn't believe how similar the movie was to his own experiences. He even says, like, just watching it, it felt like a documentary. But when the 2005 Amityville Horror movie came out with Ryan Reynolds, George was incredibly upset and said it was awful. It was bad misrepresentation. And I saw in one article, I don't know how true this is, it could be true, but apparently he sued the movie company for... For just getting it wrong and feeling like... Boo-hoo. Yeah. So he's like, no, you guys misrepresented me and and I should sue you. (laughs) But that's the story. I mean, seriously, at that point, we know all the people, you know, the teenagers who saw it and saw Ryan Reynolds, if they saw that old guy who's got to be ancient by that time, (laughs) they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, this is the same guy. Like, dude, trust me, your reputation as a guy who was haunted is still safe. You're fine. Yeah. I think we all... 
we all know the story at this point. Or rather, anyone who wants to look it up, it's available to to find out. Absolutely. Yeah. And your book still is out there, so yeah, whatever. I don't know, the guy, if he sued because he didn't like that representation, that goes even further for me to thinking that there's something shady with yeah, his. Yeah, so it always Maybe like... he was sued because he didn't get any money for that version. Maybe, and yeah. And that pissed him off. Yeah. And I think it also made him mad because his wife had died at that point already. And I think he, in one interview I saw, he said it just felt... I felt wrong because she wasn't here and what she had to say wasn't properly like portrayed. And I think he just felt offended by that. I don't know. I don't know how he feels. You know, I'd also like to think if you were haunted by something and it really bothered you and someone said, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a movie about it. I'd be like, yeah, have fun with that. I don't want to see it. Yeah, I'm good. This is this was a traumatic (laughs) part of my life and I don't need to relive it. Right. But he's like, I want it all. I want the comics. I I want the video games. I want the movies. Show it all to me. Books. Yeah. It was kind of like a roller coaster ride reading all about it because there were parts where you're like, oh, I don't know, that's kind of that is kind of a weird coincidence, or, or yeah, that sounds like they were lying. So I think it could have been a mix, and that's why it's super just hard to pinpoint. Even from the murders themselves, that is not Absolutely. even a straight up case. It's just it feels weird and in not not a well, straight line. And what I think is funny is it feels like the story of the hauntings and the story of the murders are different families. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the story of the murders is, is you know, he claims to be possessed, but it was a much more straightforward. This guy just woke up one night and murdered people. Whereas yeah. the hauntings, all the crazy stuff that's happening, the ghosts, the levitations, everything, different family that happened later. And a lot of people don't realize that when they hear about the Amityville Horror, they think they think of the story where a guy is haunted and then kills and his then family. And then kills his family realize, at the end, oh, yeah. it's no, it's it's different people. It's very different people. And again, you know, I, I think I don't want to say like definitely it wasn't Ronald DeFeo who killed his family. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not an investigator on the on the case. And that could very well be like the most obvious answer. And it might be. But the other guy who was outside the house that saw the girl in the jacket leave the house with a gun. I I'm very thrown off by that detail. I don't know what that means. I don't know who that was. It could not even been a sister. It's worth paying attention to. But it was like, it caught my attention and it just, it derailed my brain. So, I don't know. It's a very compelling story. There's so much more to it. And and look at the time. I've already talked my head off. So, I think I think it's time to end it here. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and we, we have to talk about the movie now. Yeah. So, that's kind of what I meant. Like, the story is over and I hope you guys can join us next week. And if you guys want to stick around, we're going to be talking about the movies. Let's talk about our first Christmas horror movie of the season. At this point in our show, we're going to talk about everything and try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible. This one is a brand new 2021 release. We just found out about it, too, just Mm -hmm. a few days ago ourselves. Straight from France, we have the Advent Calendar. Now, it totally had a French name, but this is what they call it in America. Right. (laughs) And yes, that does mean it needs subtitles or a strong proficiency in French. So if you're a good French speaker, you don't need subtitles. But other than that, you're going to need subtitles. And we saw this on Shudder, but it may be available on other platforms. I did not check. So the Advent calendar is about a paraplegic woman who receives an antique looking Advent calendar from her friend. In case you guys don't know what an Advent calendar is, it's a Christmas specific calendar where each of the days of December, the 1st through the 25th, are doors. And behind each door is supposed to lie a candy or a treat. You open each door on the day it represents, and you get to enjoy the candy. It's kind of a fun countdown to Christmas Day. Yeah. Sometimes I've heard of ones that have little toys inside or little games you're supposed to play, but the traditional one is you eat a candy or a treat. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we just bought our advent calendar for the year. You can get them cheap. They're like $1.50 at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, They're just cardboard at- filled with borderline chocolate at best. Yeah, it, I mean, I eat them. They're fine. I think it's a lot of fun. I really yeah. enjoy it. And the door numbers are in abnormal order. You have to find them. However, the advent calendar in this movie is a creepy-looking antique wooden box. The doors are locked, and the calendar has mechanical components. At midnight each night, a creepy figure pops out of the top and speaks German, telling her it's time to eat her next treat. So, yes, of course it's German because this is a French movie. Because they're like, and wow, if there's evil. one thing we've learned about most <laughs> movies that come out of Europe is that for some reason, German is still considered the evil, creepy one. Right, yeah. It's just the way it is. At least that's how I've seen it in media. Before having the first treat, she reads the rules of the calendar. This is all just the beginning, the first few minutes of the movie. Before having the first treat, she reads the rules of the calendar. The calendar rules mention that she must follow all the rules or else something will happen. It also says if she eats one candy, she must eat them all. Once again, or else something bad will happen. She must also not eat any of the candies early, so don't open any doors early. Yeah. It seems simple enough, except that bad things start to happen when she eats the first candy. And by bad things... I mean people dying. And it becomes apparent early on that if she breaks the rules, other people, herself included, may also die. So she's essentially forced to eat the cursed candy for days. And as viewers, we are along for the ride. Right. So that's just the basic summation of the plot premise to it. What did you think? Of the we, me and Lily actually haven't talked about this movie. We purposely didn't so that yeah. it would be fresh and unique to us. So what did you think of the movie? Um, I actually enjoyed it because there were so many unique elements of what, what occurred. It's a weird premise. It was a weird premise. And some of the camera shots were kind of like cool or like Absolutely. some of the... The way the, the advent calendar worked was also not linear. It kind of felt like time was not relevant to it. Like it just manipulated whatever it wanted. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to ruin anything because I don't, really think, ruin anything. I don't think so. Because it just, it, I don't even know if you know what I mean when it I say that. It becomes apparent early in the movie that this box behaves differently than the rest of the world behaves. Right. And that's kind of one of the compelling things because you don't know what to expect as as the plot and continues. I, and I think that's what I liked. I had no idea where it was going. And even though you might have inclination of how it might end, even then, it even was... Even then. Even the, the... I think the process, it was like, sure, you might know the ending or like you, you could guess it, but you have no idea how you're going to get there because it was so crazy. Like Every door was a different little story. And I thought that was cool. Well, and each time she had a candy, you're like, you had no idea what was going to happen. And at the same time... It could be absolutely bizarre and creepy, and each one tended to be a little different, and it yeah. was it was just exciting. Um, you can see how she was trying to figure out the pattern, but that wasn't really working. Like, it was just, she was at the mercy of this box. And I was admittedly compelled, even just 10 minutes in, I need to know where this movie is going. I was enraptured <laughs> in it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it was the best movie I've ever seen, but the plot was unique enough that I recommend to all people who like horror films, this one's actually... It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if scary is the term. I don't know if I was ever, like, truly scared. There were a few scared. moments that were creepy yeah. as heck. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And I'd say that the movie really brought forth these feelings of sacrifice and loneliness. Yeah. Those were the biggest themes to it is, like, what it's like to be alone and what you're willing to give up or risk in order to get something else. Huge things. And it, and, and it kind of helps you establish which characters like the depth of their personality and whether or not you like them or hate them. Mm -hmm. Whether or not I recommend it, though, I'd say that's complicated. Um, It's very hard to recommend a foreign film sometimes, I think. Yeah, I think think subtitles alone are a big issue. Mm -hmm. But I'd also say that 
people who want to be terrified, this movie doesn't do jump scares. Right, and I think that's just what it is. It's, 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 it's a slow burn. It's, but, it is slow, but it's not It's not House of the Devil slow burn. No, it's not like because nothing is happening. It's just it's just kind of depressing the whole time, actually. And it's, it's a more quiet movie. Mm-hmm. It's more about seeing someone suffering. Right. And so I really enjoyed it. But yeah, it's not jump scares. It's not you see demons running around. It's not like a lot of classic horror movies that a lot of people see these days. So it's a, it's a different kind of horror film. It's definitely my cup of tea, mm-hmm. but it's not for everyone. But uh, yeah, I'd say I would totally give it three out of five howls. I wonder what I would give it. I should probably ask myself. Let's see. No, I'd give it three out of five too. I'll watch it every year, but I know it's not for everyone. Yeah. And it could have been scary. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch it every year, but I... I definitely could. It's just, it's not an easy pop-in movie because it is subtitled. Not at all. We tend so, to, our subtitled movies get a serious bad rap with us, which is unfortunate. It's not like bad it rap. It says more just... about us than the movies. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has nothing to do, which is why, like, uh, The Orphanage, you don't tend to want to watch it all the time because- It's the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what it was. I thought it was a subtitle situation. It's in Spanish, so I can just pop it in and, like- the, the thing about that read. movie, though, is all the scary stuff. You don't need to speak any language for them to be terrifying. Yeah. So we did mention last week that we were going to watch Dead Snow. And don't worry, that is coming. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. It's one of our favorites. Sorry we didn't get to this week. So if you happen to watch it, don't worry. That's coming. Yeah. We're hopefully going to get more than just one scary movie for next week. But we'll yeah. find out. We'll, we'll see post, what our schedule's like. I know we're going to ha- probably watch another one this week. But I don't know if we're going to have time. Only because I will be out of town this weekend for a few days so but yeah that means we're gonna have to like record a lot earlier and again super sorry this one's even later than the ones in the past and hopefully this is the only time that's ever happening so i don't know it just seems like it's been a we'll kind tell, of a crazy we'll tell week. you guys all about all the crazy stuff going on in our lives yeah. soon once it's all done and over with but it all makes sense coming up you'll you'll get it <laughs> um, yeah but yeah, so that was our movie discussion for this week. Uh, we hope if you saw the movie, you enjoyed it. And yeah, amazing, huge story today, Lily. So I'll have yeah. a story next week, guaranteed. Yeah, and I I really had a really good time telling it, to be honest. I think researching it was interesting because it refreshed a lot of what I remembered hearing about the, the house. But I also learned a, a few things myself. So that's always the, the best part. And I was even worried of doing the story because I... I always have this fear that when I do a big story, I'm going to get bored because I think because I think I know everything. And then I realize that I'm an idiot. I don't know everything. And I need to, like, shut my mouth. And a lot of what we know is the movie versions, which are the worst (laughs) versions. So, like, wow, I I was a fool to, like, not read about it because it was actually pretty interesting. It was it was really fun to do. And I like to sprinkle the big ones throughout. You know what I mean? I don't want to get through all the. The big stories. Not I all think. at once. No. Yeah, not at all at once. I like to enjoy them myself. So, but anyway, thank you for joining us today. And again, I'm sorry it was late, but I hope it was worth it. And of course, if you guys have any stories that you want us to to share in our next listener episode, please drop us a story on our email address, which is hodwpodcast at gmail.com. We also would love to hear if you have a story that you that you want to hear or like maybe it's something in your in your area that you want us to tell. Please let us know. I'm I'm very interested to like learn new folklore, new stories, new cryptids, new hauntings. Seriously, let me know. I'm very excited. And if you want one being told on the show, just let us know and we'll do it. So anyway, I hope you guys had a really safe weekend. And if you guys had a little too much to drink, well then don't worry because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye.